This is episode 243 about building practical mental toughness. Listen in as I work directly with Patrick, a marathoner who wants to work on his mental fitness for racing. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a behind-the-scenes coaching call. I'm working with a runner named Patrick, a member of our team's strength running coaching program, who wants to work on his mental toughness. This is probably the most sought-after mental skill that runners want to develop, the ability to persevere, to endure, to keep pushing when running becomes unbearable late in a race. We're going to explore training strategies, mindset shifts, and practical psychology tactics to help Patrick and you build more mental toughness. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on effective strategies to stay healthy, my favorite mantras for runners, training principles that never go out of style, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of my favorite companies that's investing heavily in the running community. They test your blood for dozens of biomarkers, so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be holding back your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. The code is strengthrunning with no space, and you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. Also, if you want the opportunity to come on the podcast, just like Patrick here, and discuss your training, talk more about a specific problem you're having, and have me work with you on how to solve it or brainstorm ways to improve, then join Team Strength Running. This is our highly affordable group coaching program that Patrick is a member of, and I periodically open up these opportunities to our members. You can sign up at strengthrunning.com join and learn more about our training plans, our coaching support, and most importantly, all of the other runners that you'll be able to call teammates. That's strengthrunning.com join to enroll. All right, let's dive into today's episode with Patrick. If you're someone who gives up easily in races, perhaps you don't have the discipline to run your own race and pace yourself well, or you find yourself stopping to walk often when running gets difficult, you're going to love this conversation. Patrick is all of us. We've all struggled with staying mentally tough in moments of high fatigue, like at mile 23 of a marathon, or in the final kilometer of a 5K when your legs are on fire. We all doubt our abilities and second-guess ourselves and feel anxious on the starting line. But with mental toughness, we can become more confident runners, self-assured runners who believe in their abilities and welcome the adversity of racing. If this topic is exciting for you, learn more about these mental skills with our free email course on improving your running mindset at strengthrunning.com brain. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my coaching call with Team Strength Running member Patrick. All right. Thanks for coming on, Patrick. Welcome. Thank you, Jason. As I, uh, It's been a very exciting morning for me, and uh, it's pretty good timing because I've got a little marathon to do tomorrow morning. Are you running a marathon tomorrow morning? Yeah, in Canberra. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So hopefully this can be really helpful for you as you, we dial in some more you know, advice for mental fitness and mental toughness in particular. And that's really going to be the topic of our conversation today. 
So I want to hear a little bit more about you as a runner. We're going to explore your past training and racing today and figure out how you can build more of these mindset skills that I think are really important for runners. You know, I truly believe that with a, without a strong mind, your strong body will never be able to express its true strength. So let's start with your background, Patrick. How old are you? How long have you been running? So I'm currently about 49 years old, although uh, in our age on inside trackers, I'm about 44.7, which is nice to see. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've always been as a kid, like the fat kid, I couldn't run. I um, remember once in uh, what we call primary school, uh, I did come back from illness, but uh, we were doing a sports run and uh, I was lagging and the teacher sent through one of the faster kids to chase me, basically. Uh, so I was never the runner and I didn't pick it up until um, about 10 years ago. I've got a number of friends who have completed Ironman uh, competitions and marathons and so on. And just internally, I felt, I guess, embarrassed that I couldn't run. I was uh, 105 kilos, um, which is about 230 pounds. And um, I had, a, to be honest, I had a bad lifestyle before that during my adulthood. Um, <clears throat> I only got diagnosed with ADD about five or six years ago. And I think it contributed to just a really bad lifestyle. And I just wanted to change things. And um, actually, one of my clients from a weight perspective, he, uh, he's got a very brutal empathy to him. And he said, I'm a fat bastard and I should do the 5-2 fasting diet. And so I lost about 15 kilos and then just started to want to change other things like my running. So at the time, I couldn't run more than 500 meters without stopping. Uh, so I just started to incrementally increase that. I was just determined to try to change that. I was super excited when I got to my first kilometer and then just progressed that up until about 10 kilometers. And with only telling one friend of mine, um, I signed up for a half marathon in July 2013. And I was aiming for about two hours. Um, I hadn't worked out what that pace was, but I ended up doing a 209, uh, which I think was about 604 minutes per kilometer. And um, then told another friend of mine, and he, uh, I said that my target was two hours, and he mentioned that, well, that's about a five-minute 40 pace, and that just shocked me. I just, you know, I don't think I could run five kilometers at that, at that time at, um, at that kind of pace. But then I kept on going. I'd have, I got one of the uh, free online training courses, um, you know, which was good for me, having started from a, a zero base. And um, I did another half marathon in September 2013. Uh, it was a 1.52, and then I did a, um, a second one about a month later. It was a month and a half later and a, at a 1.48. So <clears throat> I mean, things started to progress pretty well at that point, um, and I thought the, the idea of a marathon still daunted me, but I thought, why not? So I signed up for the Canberra Marathon in 2014, which was this time you know, eight years ago, and uh, in December I started um, you know, my training program. And I felt a niggle in my left foot. So I, you know, did what every man would probably do. And I went straight away to the doctor after waiting a month and got some x-rays done. I got some um, bone scans done and it ended up being diagnosed as a, um, like a stress fracture. And the funny thing was, uh, I spoke to another friend of mine. They'd done lots of triathlons and I just mentioned what it felt like. And he said, oh, it sounds like a plantar fasciitis. So I Googled that. And of course, everything suggested that I had plantar fasciitis, but of course it didn't. But when I went to get the diagnosis um, and a, an explanation about the stress fracture, I was kind of hoping to either, like in a very binary sense, be told, don't run or you're fine to run. Because I had in my mind about it, either a four-hour target, because I'd never obviously done a marathon before, or a 345, which was based on those pace calculators saying that with my half marathon time i could probably do a 345 and then when i spoke to the doctor with the results from the bone scan he said look you can run just take it a bit easy but you can still do your marathon and in the end i did a i split the difference and i got a 352 so uh that was pretty exciting um i got to about the 32k mark and i think at that stage i started um you know having to walk a bit but it was you know exciting to finish that first marathon yeah, and you've run a bunch of marathons since then, haven't you, Patrick? So I've done 10 in total. And that includes um, that little one that you guys have got on the East Coast in uh, in New York. 
And um, so that was num- that was in 2016, um, which, I mean, as you know, it was a super exciting time to be in New York with, with everything going on with the election. But um, that was the first time I had, a, I guess you could say, a proper training coach. Um, and he gave me a relatively bespoke training plan. But um, what I found afterwards was that the paces he had set for all the runs were very, very fast, I thought. So, for example, um, at that stage, I was targeting a three-hour 30 or to beat a three-hour 30 marathon for just because of the um, – as a benchmark, but also because it was a qualifier time for Boston. And so, as you know, three hours, is, I think it's about five-minute Ks. And um, the, far, the long runs, he had me doing at about 5.15. So, five sec- 15 seconds faster – sorry, slower, which I tried to do. Um, I don't recall finishing many long runs properly or strongly. And, um, yeah, so I thought I kept on using that plan, but um, I just I wasn't sure if that pace was just too too fast for me. But I still, in New York, I just remember, I think it was um, one of the bridges. I just started walking, and then that's it. As soon as I started walking, my mind just... Uh, it starts to give up and I just, even though I know that I can try to push through it, <clears throat> what I found was just, and this is a constant theme for me, what I found was that as soon as the mind thinks you can start walking, I'll start walking. And I remember going down, I think it was First Avenue and it was a long, beautiful uh, road. It was a beautiful morning uh, that November. And um, just, and then getting through uh, Central Park, it was just impossible for my mind to tell the body to do what it was capable to do and and that's always been my biggest struggle um so the funny thing was um the the 10th marathon my 10th marathon in sydney it started really well i had a really great training period beforehand but um it ended up being quite a warm late morning and i just bonked out but the my best marathon was my ninth another canberra marathon and I didn't care. I went into that race um, just not caring because I had a great first half of the training block for the second half because a whole bunch of stresses at work. Um, I just didn't complete everything I needed to. And on the Saturday at the expo, I had a look at my shoe and I saw that it had a, a split down uh, where the, um, the top of the shoe attaches to the base. And obviously, you're not, I'm not going to get a new pair of shoes even if I could the day before a marathon. So I went in there and had a bit of a, I think, a leg niggle and um, started in the race. I thought, oh, I just want to stop. I just didn't want to do it. I um, got to about 10 Ks. I thought, I just want to stop and get out and justify with a hamstring injury. But I just kept on going, kept on going, ended up running all the way through to about 37 Ks before I had to start walking. And I got a PB. All right. Now, what was your PB, Patrick? Uh, 339. All right. So big improvement. That's great. Yeah. So I I think this is going to be really interesting because I think you are occupying this space that is common for a lot of runners. You've spent, you know, almost 10 years or so building your fitness, running a bunch of marathons. And now we're going to try to dial in your mental fitness because I think your physical fitness has shown extraordinary improvement. I mean, going from a 209 half marathon to then running 339 in the marathon is is a huge improvement especially coming from you know like you said earlier a uh, relatively unhealthy lifestyle you know you you weren't a runner growing up so you don't have that background and so I, I'm very uh, enthusiastic about your future as a runner just because of the progress you've already experienced and where you've come from and so now this next step is, okay, now let's start optimizing your mental skills, your mental toughness, all these things that can be really helpful for someone who already has a fair amount of fitness and now is just looking to express that fitness on the race course. So you seem to me kind of a, you know, like a marathoner. You like to run marathons. So you, you run a couple a year? Yeah. So uh, I was, when I started, I think I was running about two every year. Um, and the last one was in 2019. And then of course the pandemic hit. I had signed up for the Canberra marathon in April, 2020. Um, but then I'd also booked tickets to go to the Vietnam, Vietnam Grand Prix. Um, big F1 fan here, but, um, 
Yeah, so the whole two-year period, and, and sorry, what I didn't mention was in February 2020, I was doing a, um, a sprint session and I felt my hamstring go. And I, I said to myself, if I don't rest it properly by May 2020, it's just going to continue to basically uh, stop my running capabilities. And, of course, I didn't rest it properly. And uh, then, of course, all the events got closed down because of COVID and I wasn't running properly, didn't have anything to run for as such. And it wasn't until about March 2021 when I actually got a proper treatment for my hamstring. I got some PRP injections and it had an, an immediate benefit. And so I started to build up my running again, started to get a bit more confidence in the running, but I, I still couldn't actually get uh, a consistency in terms of both training volume as well as training pace. So one week I could do a 15-kilometer run. The next week I could struggle to do a 10 in any given r- a run. And I thought if I do get back into marathoning, which I obviously wanted to, I honestly thought to myself, getting below 330 is just not in my future because yeah, I'm getting older and everything else. But then uh, when I signed up to the um, a couple of your plans, the um, the Simply Strong plan, and so I've got a, a weight set at home, like a decent home gym, and the injury prevention running plan, there's just been a bit of a, a kick in the confidence of what my capabilities can be physically. And then so, you know, today dovetailing that with a proper uh, mental strength program is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. I, I sort of wish we had waited a few days to record this so that I could yeah. hear how your marathon goes tomorrow morning. And before this gets published, maybe I can add a, a quick addendum to our conversation with uh, the results of your marathon. So let's dive into this concept of of mental fitness and, and mental toughness. This is specifically what I want to talk about today. Can you talk a little bit more about how you struggle with this mental skill and maybe give us a few specific examples of where you think more mental toughness could have really helped you? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really good question. It's a really hard one. It's obviously one I've tried to work through uh, for a long time. Um, if I think through the long run, which is where it, it's representative of the marathons in which I've had to just pull up and start walking. It is um, obviously the fatigue comes in. That's just a physiological um, aspect of it. But instead of knowing that if I'm at fatigue at kilometer 20, whatever the case is, that I can run another kilometer, another five kilometers or so, my mind just, it's almost like I'm not conscious of my mind trick telling my body to start walking. And then what happens, and particularly during a marathon race, is that I look at my watch and my, my watch is telling my average pace is dropping below my target. And so I'll start running faster, which obviously just fatigues me even further. And I start walking and I start walking more. And it's just um, the, the other um, aspect, which I forgot to mention about my mental issues in the race is the, the starting point. So targeting 3.30, the, the data based on the half marathon. So my, my best half marathon was a, a 99 minute. And um, you know, knowing that a 3.30 should be achievable, I'm sat there, I stood there right next to the uh, 3.30 pacer. And knowing that if I follow that guy or that girl, that I should be able to hit a 3.30. And of course, I think, well, I'll try to run faster than that at the start. And my, my second marathon, um, I th- might've been targeting a 3.40, but um, it was, the first half of that marathon was my second fastest half marathon, which meant <laughs> that the second half, the back end, was one of my slowest half marathons. <laughs> yeah. So for me, that mental issue, the mental resilience is holding back at the start. And again, this comes back to the training as well, Jason, in the sense that um, you know, I know you've said a thousand times in your podcasts that you know, people tend to run their easy runs too fast. And then probably as a result, they run their fast runs too slow. And so I, the, that other mental aspect is I kind of call it the Strava effect. So when I was coming out of injury or, or even just doing an easy run, which I could say do at 5.45, six-minute pace, I think, oh, what's that going to look like on Strava? So I pick it up. And this is supposed to be an easy run. And, and then, of course, you know, the long run suffers. And it's the same thing with the uh, when I start a race, I go out too fast, which just blows me up. 
Yeah, I think these are really common issues for a lot of runners, you know, with starting too fast when they're feeling good, even if that isn't part of their plan. And and I think there's a lot of concrete strategies that that we can implement in your training to give you more confidence, to make you more mentally tough. Uh, and with that said, no amount of mental toughness is going to get you through an impossible task. So if you start a marathon at 2.30 marathon pace and you're really in shape for maybe a three-hour marathon, you're going to falter. So mental toughness only helps when you're attempting things that are still somewhat possible. So let's talk a little bit about your preparation for some of these marathons. Would you say that you are adequately trained and prepared to train for a marathon when you were going after, say, a 330 marathon PR? Walk us through, you know, maybe your mileage levels and some of your your quality long runs. Give us an idea of your training. Yeah, so um, the the marathon training block is about 16 weeks. And... The training plan that I was using before, which I got for the New York, uh, I think peaks at about 70 to 80 kilometers in a week. So that's, about, I think, a 37-kilometer long run. Um, so, But more recently, so for this marathon, my average weekly mileage, I think, was up to about four, was it 40 miles, 60 kilometers or so. Uh, but I think it got up to 70 kilometers. Um, and that includes, the uh, obviously, a lot of strides and uh, the tempo work. And I've got to say, your uh, Tuesday tempo run, I love it because it's, it is, it feels strong. It feels um, kind of very effective, but it's also achievable. So it's not to, not to diminish it, but it just yeah, um, that's where we want to be. Yeah, you know, you've done it, um, and I feel like I can do it, especially with those one minute intervals. Um, and the um, yeah, so the, the average weekly uh, mileage is probably about sixty odd, sixty to seventy kilometers at the peak. Okay. And how consistent are you with a good long run? Let's say 20 kilometers or more. To be honest, for this particular marathon, less consistent than I want it to be. Uh, part of that was because uh, we were in isolation because of COVID. Um, so I couldn't get out. Um, but if I look at, say, one of my better training uh, blocks for a marathon, the long runs were consistent-ish to uh, the point of the distance but not consistent in terms of the strength of that run, being able to finish that run strong, being able to run through, you know, 25, 30, 32 kilometers, for example. Um, but I did a, a 32 kilometer run a couple of weeks back, which is a, the longest run in your intermediate training plan. And, uh, you know, despite a, a haphazard kind of training plan leading up to it, the first 24 kilometers just felt really, really good. Um, and it was only towards the last eight kilometers that it you know, started to really get that fatigue and it started to really slow down. But the um, I didn't, when I look at my average pace per kilometer, even with a few walking breaks, it didn't slow down significantly. And I think I put a lot of that down to starting it a lot slower as well. Yeah, that's probably a really good plan. I love to see negative split long runs. And if you think about it, most long runs and and really any easy run should have a negative split to it because that just ensures that your first mile or two, your first couple kilometers are just at a really easy effort. You know, if you think about your warm up, that sort of includes the beginning of your run. So the first five, 10 minutes of your run is sort of part of that warm up process. And so I love to see runners just ease into that run. And Patrick, I feel you on the Strava stats, because even though I know how important it is to start a run at a very easy effort, sometimes if I haven't had a really good warm up to the run, uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep or something like that, my first mile might be really slow. And the whole time I'm thinking about how this is going to look on Strava. But <laughs> I think part of part of the uh, is just having the confidence to actually do that, even though it doesn't look good on Strava. And so, yeah, I think listening to you talk about your marathon training and your long runs and your workouts, I think for the most part, you're doing a lot of good things really right. Um, you know, of course, the longer distances that you're trying to complete in a race situation, the more important it is to run more, to be more consistent with your long runs. 
you know, to, to more consistently do a long run that is in the 24, 26, 28 kilometer range. And if you are just knocking out those long runs consistently, almost week after week, marathon training is almost going to be easy for you. And the race itself, you can then focus on running fast rather than on worrying about, oh, can I actually just complete the distance? And, you know, I'm a big believer in not separating your mental and your physical training because you can't become mentally tough sitting at your desk or sitting in a classroom or sitting around just reading a book. You actually have to live through adversity. You have to experience it. You have to wrestle with it. And you come out on the other side, a much stronger runner, both physically and mentally. And I think, you know, the great training is, is going to leave you in great shape. It's going to leave you very confident about your abilities. And it's also going to show you what you can potentially do in, in a race. So let's start with some training suggestions for building more mental toughness training into the running that you're already doing. Um, so, you know, a big thing for the marathon in particular is making your workouts specific to the race itself. And when it comes to the marathon, we're mostly talking about the long run. That is the most specific workout we're ever going to do, even though the long run isn't technically a workout, although we can make it into a workout. Now, I think we're just splitting our terms here. But the long run is the most specific run to the marathon, and it's the most specific type of preparation you're going to do. So if you want to not be intimidated by 42.2 kilometers worth of running, we've got to get really consistent and, and frankly good at running some good long runs at 30 kilometers, 32 kilometers, maybe getting up to running 34, maybe 35 kilometers once or twice during the season to really give you that confidence. Um, and it's not just about the physical adaptations that's going to happen after running for such a long distance. It's also about the mental adaptations, you know, cause if you can run the equivalent of say 22 miles, then, you know, you start really getting confident about how you might fare in the marathon after mile 20 or so. So that's a really effective strategy. Um, the other thing that I think is a really, uh, global strategy that is really specific to uh, everyone, every runner. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner training for the 5K, you're a veteran training for the 100-mile distance, is doing things that scare you rather consistently. And I think the best preparation for mental toughness in a race is more racing. And so I would love to hear you talk about, you know, I know you, you've done 10 marathons or so over the last uh, nine years are you running a lot of other races, 5Ks, 10Ks, 8Ks, 15Ks, almost, it doesn't even matter the distance. Are you just racing fairly regularly? No, I'm not. I typically would do a, a half marathon during the, the training block. So I did one, um, and this goes back to the, what we talked about before, Jason, I did one uh, two or three weeks ago, and it was just a very small local event. And um, I wasn't really... Uh, planning on a significant uh significantly good time but i'd set my my strava my training workout up to uh, you know have a negative split that was really what i was aiming for and to finish strong and uh our starting group was about i'm going to say 20 odd people and straight off the bat i was at the back of it and that basically superseded my plan of finishing strong so i went out too quick it was capable but then by about the kilometer 15 mark I just fell in, fell in a heap again. Okay. But um, so, sorry, to answer your question, um, I my racing is pretty much only half marathon during the training block and then uh, the marathon. So I don't do the shorter races. Um, yeah. I have a suggestion for you that I think might seem counterintuitive, but is I think going to really help you become a better runner, not just faster, but more confident, more willing to suffer, more, uh, you know, confident in your abilities on race day so that, you know, you have the confidence to run a little bit slower at the beginning when you know you need to. And then also the confidence to really push through some serious suffering at the end of the race, because you know what you're capable of, and you know that you're capable of pushing through that. And that is 
to run a lot more races. Now, the key here, you can't run half marathons and marathons too often. You really can only run two, maybe three good marathons a year. And then you have to dedicate the other time to the training for those races and also the recovery from those races. You know, it does take two, three, four weeks to properly recover from a marathon. And, you know, the half marathon is not nearly as severe in terms of recovery time as the marathon, but, you know, at 13.1 miles, 21.1 kilometers, if I'm getting my conversions right. Very good. Then, (laughs) yes, it it does take, uh, you know, days of recovery afterwards. And that's going to eat into your training time after a half marathon race. So I think one of the best ways to build mental toughness, kind of going back to that point earlier of needing to experience mentally challenging experiences and to experience that adversity is to run a lot of short races. Because number one, if you have a bad race, who cares? You can just dust yourself off, you come back next week, and you can run another, you know, 1500 or 3k or 5k race. And the other reason is because racing is a skill, you know, the the skill of going out at an appropriate pace, the skill of hanging back when you have to, of surging when you want to put the hurt on a competitor, all the nuances of racing. And I think a big part of the skill of racing is really becoming fine-tuned to the signals that your body is telling you. You know, do you have more left or do you actually really need to walk? There's so many nuances to that question of, do I slow down? Do I walk? Or do I keep forging ahead and actually pushing forward and even increasing my pace. And you really only learn that through the trials and tribulations of consistent racing over time. Now, I do think it's an advantage that when I started running, I started running in high school. And when you start running in high school, or maybe you ran in college, those experiences lead you to race all the time. I was racing two or three times a week, some weeks, and you just get almost you know, this sounds negative, but you almost get numb to racing. Now you're always going to get nervous. You're always going to second guess yourself. That's just part of doing hard things. But I think to a certain point, you know, when you get to the end of the season and you've been running race after race, after race, after race, you know, you're a dozen races into the season. You just, you know, it's going to hurt, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you've been here a hundred times before. And you're much more willing to put yourself out there and to go out on a, on a ledge or to put yourself in a situation where you could fail. And I think by not putting all these races on a pedestal, you know, by running a lot of 5Ks, one 5K becomes, I don't want to say meaningless, but it's just not very important in the grand scheme of things. Whereas if you're only running marathons and you only run two a year, those are important races. You're only running two races a year. And so the way I think about it is we've got to get comfortable racing. And the only way to do that consistently is through short races because we can't run too many marathons. So I know you've got a marathon tomorrow, so you're not going to go race a 10K today. (laughs) But I do think in the big picture, thinking more long-term about if you want to break 330 in the marathon, and I absolutely think you should go after that goal, don't give up. You are not old yet, Patrick, okay? then we've got to maybe take six months or maybe even 12 months away from the marathon and just run a lot of races. Have two or three seasons where you are focused on the 5K, the 10K, or the half marathon, and you've just got a bunch of tune-up races. Because then you'll actually be putting yourself into those situations where you need mental toughness. And at a certain level, you'll just start to figure it out on your own. And and I think that learning process, just like, you know, you can't over teach kids how to learn certain things when they're growing up. You sort of just have to throw them in the fire and let them figure it out themselves. Part of racing is sort of figuring out how to push yourself and how to do so effectively. So I I know you're a marathoner. So what, what do you think of this plan to focus on these short distance races for a while? Look, it, it sounds logical, Jason. And um, can I ask a question? Uh, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that the, it's not just the race, like a 5K race. It's also actually the race event, like the race day. Because I can go out, you know, ne- you know two weeks' time, for example, and do a 5K around a, a, a you know, track up here, for example. But it sounds like what you're saying is that the actual event, like, you know, 
the bib and all that kind of stuff, the, the waiting time for the start gun is actually part of that whole process compared to just going out locally doing a five-kilometer run as fast as I could. And just I think, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. So what you're, what we are differentiating between right now is an actual sanctioned race versus a solo time trial or a virtual run. Now, I've done plenty of virtual runs and time trials in my day, and there's nothing wrong with those. But they aren't races. They don't have that same magic to them. You know, that same hormonal stimulus that you're going to get. You know, you're not going to be so anxious before a time trial as when you're sitting there, you're looking at the people that you're going to be racing at. They're, you know, they're looking fast and you're a little intimidated by them and you start getting anxiety from that. That is all going to impact your mindset going into an actual real race. And I think part of that is really important. You have to learn how to deal with all of those emotions around a race because a race is a very emotionally heavy experience. And so, yeah, I do think an actual sanctioned race is really important because number one, it's going to require more mental toughness. And also number two, it's going to put you in a position where you could actually race faster because you have competitors, you have crowds on the side of the race course cheering you on. You have, you know, the starting gun and the announcer and all that, just the the hoopla of an actual sanctioned race is just very exciting. And that excitement can help propel you to uh, a better performance. So definitely focus on real races. And, you know, in a given season, you could run a fair number of them. You know, if they're the 5k 3K, 1500, 800, you know, the distance almost is irrelevant. Instead, let's just get practice running races. And if we think about it that way, we're practicing. You know, if you were to imagine, you know, a basketball player or a football player, if they only did two matches a year, they probably wouldn't be very good in the moment of these high pressure environments. And that's really what a race is it's a high pressure environment, it's a high pressure task that you are attempting to accomplish. And only by doing it regularly and and not putting it on that pedestal, like I mentioned before, of, oh, I have to do well here. You know, your, your PR marathon, you, you didn't put a lot of pressure on yourself. And it's amazing how that works out. And, you know, my hunch is that without that added mental pressure and you just going out there and having fun, you were actually to get more out of yourself. So, uh, I think this strategy is probably one of the more valuable for you in the long term. Well, yeah, it it, it does sound it, Jason. And I think um, a, a very good example is a friend of mine who was training for a, an Ironman. And as you probably know, that's a, like a 24-week training block. And he had a fantastic 23 weeks or 22 weeks, I think it was. And then he uh, got a an injury, which meant that he couldn't race. He couldn't even fly to the race venue. Um, and I know with my marathon, so as, as you said, we worked out that it'll do about two a year, or I was doing about two a year. Um, but it wasn't like the spring and fall or spring and autumn type of uh, break. It was, as I mentioned, I think um, I've penciled in, haven't paid anything yet, a the Gold Coast Marathon in July this year, which is uh, basically I think it's about eight, well, 10 weeks away. So that's often the case for me is that these big races a year, two a year, for example, they're not they don't have that big break in between where you can have a proper recovery, build, rebuild the base. It's almost like I'm starting the training block at week six. Right? And I think um, what you're saying with the, the regular races of 5K, whatever kind of distance, is that you get that mental uh, practice, the repetitions of not being dragged too fast by someone you think is a competitor, um, but having to force yourself to slow, to maintain the right pace and then, as you said, be able to surge when you need to and compete with someone, but not be, um, but manage that competitive pressure when it's not suitable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that I really like about running more frequent races is that you can experiment with different race strategies. You know, you can race a 5K and you can say, okay, I'm going to try to run, say, four minutes per kilometer for a 20 minute 5K. And you can try to run four minutes per kilometer. And the next race that that you run, you might try a different strategy where, you know, you're going to try to run 405 per kilometer as evenly, as consistently as possible. And then, you know, you just go bananas over the last kilometer and you try to run as hard as you can with as strong a negative split as possible. 
And then you can have a race where you go out really fast. And, and I think this is an interesting strategy because you're going to fail most of the time. You know, I, I affectionately call this strategy the, the let Jesus take the wheel strategy, where, you know, if you go out for the first 2K way faster than your 5K PR goal pace, well, you're sort of just hoping that you can hang on for dear life. You're hoping that you're not going to slow too much. And probably 75% of the time, you're going to fail. But 25% of the time, you are going to have a breakthrough. Now, if you're doing a strategy like that in the marathon and 20% of the time it's successful, you know, that might be once every two or three years. And so that to me is not a very attractive strategy because half your running career will be over and you might have only set a couple PRs. Whereas if you're running more frequently, you know, you might have a big breakthrough once a month or once every six weeks. And now all of a sudden that becomes very attractive to me. So it's almost like, you know, this whole racing you know, endeavor that we're trying to, to do on the regular is, you know, it, it, there's different ways of going about it. We don't always have to run even splits. We don't have, always have to try for a negative split. We can experiment. And that experimentation teaches us so much about our capabilities, you know, what we like to do as runners. You know, I, I really like to run even races and try for a strong, you know, final mile or so and, and try to get a good negative split. That, that is a strategy that appeals to me personally as a runner. But, you know, I've got some friends that I competed with in college that, you know, they like to go out hard and they pay the price many times. And, and it's sort of a, of this personal preference that fits your personality to a certain degree. And you really only discover that by trying it and, and seeing what works for you and trying a variety of strategies over a variety of different race distances. You know, your strategy in an 800, you know, you should never go out conservatively in an 800. You should probably never go out conservatively in a 1500. And by learning the nuances of all this, you're going to really improve your skill at racing. And, you know, I, I'm a believer that racing is racing. And if you get good at racing the 1500, the mile, the two mile, the 5k, whatever, all those short races, those middle distance races, you're probably going to be good at the marathon. Now there's a little bit of a learning curve. They're very different events, but you're going to be in much better position to think about it more productively, to have a more productive race strategy, and then also to modify it a little bit on the fly, whether you're in the race and something starts to hurt or something happens, you miss a gel or some fueling at a certain aid station and you have to recalibrate your strategy, then you'll have the skills to do that. So I think those are all really helpful strategies for you to think about moving forward. What I would love to talk about now is what can we do today that's going to help your marathon tomorrow? So I want to talk about your self-talk. What goes through your head when you're running a marathon and all of a sudden, you know, think the wheels start falling off and, and that little voice in your head starts starts telling you, maybe we should start walking. What does that sound like? It's a very, very quick conversation, Jason, because it almost goes from the the feeling in the, in the body to the, the mind shutting it down and saying, we're walking. So it, it's uh, what I need to do is develop that process to anticipate it such that when it, I know that I'm going to start getting quite fatigued or I know that my hip flex is going to start kind of hurting a little bit, um, or just feeling it um, to anticipate it, but it, it when it happens, it's almost instantaneous. Oh, this is bringing me all kinds of memories back from all my bad races over my career. You know, it's funny listening to you talk about New York City because that was my first marathon in 2008, and I remember running. I think it was down first. You know, mile 23. There's probably a really substantial hill right before you get into Central Park, and I almost walked on that hill. And I just remember thinking to myself, if you start walking, you're probably not going to start running again. And I slowed down a lot, and uh, but I kept running. And I was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> because if I, if I had started uh, walking, I would have I been walking it in to the finish line. And, and so just on that point, it's a really, really good point, because before it happens, I know that I'm better off slowing my pace. So for example, if I'm doing if I'm running at, say, 520 pace, and it's really, really hurting, I know logically that if I start walking and even if I could methodically introduce, say, a 100-meter walk for every 500 meters or every kilometer, that I can do it, but I never do that. And so I know that if I just slow my running pace, 
it'll be a lot better than introducing walking because once, as you said, once you start walking, it's almost like, well, you're not going back. Yeah, for sure. It's it's sort of a, a dangerous game to play with yourself. And, and one of the things that happens long term, I learned this myself when I was racing in at tail end of my high school career and into college is that when you DNF did not finish and you you have to quit a race, I quit one race in high school because of uh, really bad shin splints. And I, it was an indoor track race. But I discovered that as soon as you start quitting races and quitting workouts and just cutting them early, it becomes a habit. It becomes a possible choice for you to make in the moment. And of course, we have to have the the self-awareness to quit races and workouts if we should. And, And I think learning the difference between this is a good idea to quit this race or workout right now and you know, I'm, I'm just making a short-sighted decision because I'm being a baby today. That decision is really hard to make and, and it can be hard to differentiate between it. And injury, I think, is the easiest way to say, okay, this isn't a good idea. I'm not going to hurt myself for months just to finish this race or workout. Um, but there are some things to do in the race when, you know, you start having these thoughts and you're not actually hurt or you don't actually need to walk. Um, And and part of this happens even before the race starts. And I think now is a good time to talk about visualization. A lot of sports psychologists will call it imagery. And I was always very hesitant about this. It's a little bit too woo-woo in your head. Is this actually going to help me? I want to know about lactate threshold runs and, you know, what I can do on the track to make myself a better runner. So I came to these mindset skills a little bit late in my running career, but I feel like I shortchanged myself by doing so. And you could go back 15 years and say, you're going to be a big proponent of visualization. I'd probably not believe you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I really think that visualization is such an easy, free, simple way to give yourself an edge on race day. And and the key to visualizing is to make it as realistic as possible. And just sitting down for 10 minutes, closing your eyes and and kind of working through what is mile 22 going to feel like in this race. And you, you know, imagine you're on the race course you can feel how the race is making your body feel. You can smell the sweat of the guy next to you. You can hear the crowds. Try to involve as many senses as you can. And the key here is not only to make it multi-sensory. So, you know, use your sense of taste, you know, imagine what the gel tastes like that you're trying to have. All these different senses, bring it in to your visualization practice. But we're not only going to make it multi-sensory is we are going to plan for the good things and we're going to plan for the bad things. So when that voice starts coming up in your head, what are you going to say? How are you going to respond? And I think it's always helpful to have a menu of options, you know? So if you're hurting, you know, legitimately injured or something has gone, you know, sideways in the race, you know, that's a whole different discussion. But if you're just hurting and it's just normal race-related fatigue, you know, no one feels good at mile 24 of a marathon. If you do, you're, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> but really start to imagine the potential options that you can take and, and go through it, it. Because at this point, you can now be logical because you're not actually experiencing it. Because I think every runner knows that you can plan for the best, but when you're in the heat of the moment, your brain doesn't really want to be strong. It wants you to quit. And and that urge is very, very strong. And so we've really got to stack the deck in our, in our favor by doing visualization like this, having these options available to us. Okay. What am I going to say to myself? What am I going to actually do in the moment? Am I going to try to tuck behind another runner and just draft behind him? Am I going to start smiling like Elliot Kipchoge to give myself a little bit of a boost Am I going to, you know, uh, maybe look at the crowd and give them a little wave or a smile just to get a little bit of that feedback? Let's get some positivity back into this race. I think that can be really uplifting from a mental perspective. And so by really imagining what can go right, but also what can go wrong 
and how you're going to respond to it, I, I think that's very, very powerful. And it's going to give you the confidence to, to push forward when things start becoming difficult. Because if you have been, let's say, visualizing the race, you know, every day for a week going into the race, uh, and you are, you know, that it's going to start hurting at mile 20, you know, and you have a plan, you know, that you're going to push forward, you know, what you're going to do at what point in the course, because you're imagining the exact course that you're going to be running on. You almost now have a blueprint for how your race is going to go. Now it might be a little different and that's why you're going to plan a couple different things, but this visualization practice can be really valuable, especially in these long races like the marathon where so many things can happen after mile 20. It's like the wild, wild west. You you don't know what might happen to you in those final uh, 10 kilometers or so. So this can be super helpful. Yeah, no, it's a really good idea. It's it's like I've done the camera marathon now. I think it's I'm gonna say three, maybe four times. Um, they have changed the the route, but I, I think this route is the same as the last time, which was my PB. And I just remember the point where I did start to kind of falter and start walking. I did actually feel kind of emotionally quite good um, because I thought, I mean, I got to this beautiful part of the of Canberra. It's a really it's a little bit like a small version of DC. In a sense, it's just you know very you know beautiful within, you know, especially in autumn. Um, and just remembering the how it felt to get through that, especially how how it felt to get through to that running to say the thirty seventh kilometer. Um, but then just you know not giving myself the option for the last five. Yeah, that's that's really good. I think knowing the course ahead of time running the same course over and over again can be really helpful. Then there's no surprises. You know, I think it's a common refrain among runners to say, don't try anything new on race day. Well, if you're running a new race, you're trying a new course on race day. No, yeah, yeah. we can't change that, but we can visualize parts of the course that might be particularly challenging. We can run races, you know, year after year to experience that same course. And so I do think you're at an advantage. The other thing that might be helpful for you tomorrow and visualization is something that gets more impactful the more frequently you do it. So you could certainly have some visualization practice tonight, Patrick, but you've only done it once, your marathon's tomorrow. It might not be extraordinarily helpful for you. But one thing that could be helpful is using one, two, maybe three mantras during the race. And these can be very personal. You know, some some people like to really get themselves up some people like to really chill themselves out and just calm down a little bit because that's just what they need for their personal psychology. You know, when I ran my PR in the marathon, I really felt that the first 32 kilometers or so, it wasn't easy, but I needed to make it feel easy from a psychological perspective. And so for 20 miles, I just told myself, relax, just relax. This is an easy run. I was sort of lying to myself because it wasn't really an easy run, but I was just always checking in with myself and making sure that I was staying relaxed, both physically, you know, I, I wasn't carrying any tension in my body. I wasn't wasting any physical resources or energy. And from a mental perspective, it really just calmed my nervous system down because I can tend to get very nervous. I get anxiety. I get up, you know, I'm, I'm, kind of a energetic guy. So that's not something you really want, want in a marathon because you can really start, you know, going a little bit too crazy. You can start running too fast. You know, you can start making some poor decisions. So for me, relax was a mantra that was very helpful in the marathon. Now, I have very different mantras when I'm racing a mile or a two mile or a 5K where you need more intensity and explosivity and power and aggressiveness. And so there's a lot of different mantras that you can use that can be really helpful when it comes to uh, kind of giving yourself an edge in the moment when it comes to that race-related pain and discomfort. One of the mantras that, that I used in high school that was sort of a, a fun, uh, <laughs> there's a story behind it, I'll tell, but it was a, uh, a mantra that we used to recognize that racing was hard. And we told ourselves, we chanted at the beginning of the race, grimace. So we were going to grimace through this race. And part of the reason why this worked for us is it had some personal meaning. We had actually had a, a team dinner the night before uh, our first race of the season. And afterwards, we went to a McDonald's and we, uh, we stole a life-size cutout 
of Grimace, the big purple monster. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we had it in our locker room and it was like our unofficial mascot. So it's just kind of this fun thing that we did as, as high schoolers. Uh, I hope no executives from McDonald's are listening to this. <laughs> um, but that mantra, it kind of just ingrained in my head. And this was when I was a freshman that, look, this isn't a basketball game. I used to be a basketball player. This is a running race. It is supposed to hurt. You are not going to be comfortable during this race. And, and that was a very helpful mantra for me at the time. Now, there's another mantra that an old coach uh, provided to us that probably was my favorite ever. And he would always stand maybe a half mile or a mile from the finish line of a cross-country race. And when you would run by him, he would look you in the eye and he would say, you've got a decision to make. What are you going to do? And it was this way of framing the race for us that just really put it in this binary scenario. We could either give up or we could push to the finish line. You have a decision to make. It's either one or the other. You're not going to quit. You're either going to slow down and kind of quit mentally or you're not. And, and these mantras have been helpful for me in so many different race situations. Maybe they can be helpful for you. Maybe you can do a little brainstorming and come up with a couple other mantras that are helpful for you that might mean a little bit more to you personally. But I think mantras are one of those things that, you know, a lot of people don't want to create their own mantra because it sounds like, you know, I'm going on a, a four day silent yoga meditation retreat or something. <laughs> yeah. But you know, these personal affirmations are, I think, some of the more helpful things that you can do from a psychology perspective in the moment of the race. Yeah, it, it's a really good point, Jason. And um, I, I read a book recently, um, and they talk, it was talking through a whole range of, especially endurance athletes, you know, from uh, uh, swimmers, triathletes, marathoners, and so on. And one of the techniques, as you said, about this grimacing, it's about acknowledging that, especially something like a marathon, is going to be hard. The long run is going to be hard or that tempo run is going to be hard. It's not, don't fool yourself into thinking it's going to be easy, but don't say it's impossible. There is a difference. And it's, it's what you're just saying with the, with your coach. It's like the myth of Hercules. You know, he's got the fork in the road. You can take the hard way, which will get to a better outcome or the easy way. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's just going to be difficult, but the outcome is going to be a lot better for you. And I think in terms of the mantras, I think you're right. Um, for me, it's important to just remember it's, it's not about the opening pace. It's not about the opening 10 Ks or, um, six miles. It's about what is it going to feel like to get to 42.2 and just running still like, you know, the feet aren't on the ground at the same time. Um, and I think from what you're saying, the, the visual visualization and the, the mantras, I think is a good way to, to do that. Yeah. And, and I think your point of acknowledging the difficulty of the race you're about to do is really, really important because if you think a race is going to be a, let's say a subjective nine out of 10 on a difficulty scale, and it ends up being a 10, well, th that, that just kind of throws you for a loop a little bit. And that messes with your mindset a bit. Wow. This is so much harder than I thought. Yeah, you know, then you start going down this negative rabbit hole of of doom, right? Whereas if you think the race is is going to be a, a nine out of ten, and it ends up being a eight point eight out of ten, well, that's actually a little bit easier than you thought. And even though it's practically not any different, it's pretty much the same difficulty that you were expecting. Just recognizing that something is going to be very hard, and knowing that ahead of time. Is, is a big mental edge going into these races. So I think that's really helpful. Yeah, hard and, and impossible are two different things. Exactly, exactly. And, and as long as you're trying something that's hard, but still possible, then you know, you're going to be able to kind of draw from a lot of these strategies and they're going to be really helpful for you. But, you know, like I said earlier, if you're trying to run a, a 215 marathon and you're not quite ready for a 215 marathon, you know, no number of mantras or, you know, great workouts is going to get you there. You're simply trying to do something that's too hard. So no world record today. Okay. <laughs> Not a world record, just a personal record. Right. Um, and, and for me, Jason, uh, um, because of the fact that I've had this break of about two and a half years since my last marathon and, and the whole COVID issue and injury and so on, for me, my PR is going to be that, that strong completion and, and ideally a negative split. 
So the time is going to be somewhat irrelevant. It's still there. But for me, it's about, you know, this PR is about, even if it's a 345, for example, which is not a time-based PR, but getting there finishing strong is to me going to be a greater achievement because it means that the next one, whenever that is, is going to have much greater potential for me. Right. And and I think you learn something valuable when you actually ran your PR is that not putting a lot of pressure on yourself, still having high expectations, but going into it, wanting to have fun, wanting to enjoy the experience, maybe having tiers of goals so that if you're not going to reach that big stretch goal, well, you can fall back onto goal number two, and, and that's still a success. I, I think that's a really healthy way to look at uh, marathons in particular, and, and especially now that you're running a marathon for the first time in two and a half years, you know, you're a little bit out of practice, you haven't done the distance in a long time. So, you know, you sort of have to shake the rust off a little bit. But hopefully this conversation has given you some ideas on how to work on mental toughness in training itself, because we can't divorce the two, they've got to be together, we have to work on mental toughness, while we are running while we're training exposing ourselves to hard things regularly. And that's not just races, that's regular long runs, regular workouts, practicing imagery and visualization before some of those efforts, and also kind of working on our mantras beforehand. Uh, and then also, you know, using some of those strategies in the long term, in the short term, in the medium term, you know, this is not a, a project that you're going to be able to complete in a week or so, but hopefully over the course of many months, as we practice some of these skills, as we race more and get some of that, you know, great racing experience, we can really become the type of runner who isn't as intimidated by racing. And when the going gets tough and the going will get tough, then you can actually push through it because you, you know a little bit more about yourself. You're more confident in your abilities and you can really focus on the task at hand. No, I, I agree. And I think um, what I've taken away, Jason, which I really appreciate is, um, you know, in headlines is for one thing, this whole mental practice, mental toughness practice, it's like speed work. It's like the long one. They're reps. You do them consistently. It is not just a race day thing that you do, right? Um, so, you know, even doing a 5K race, for example, visualize it, visualize the finish, what you might try differently, as, as you said, like the um, you know, surge at different points. Um, but also with the, the training run, so can't do much more, can't cram for tomorrow. But, um, you know, treat each one with respect. So, you know, um, f finish the long runs, finish the speed work, all those different training uh, protocols and uh, yeah, visualize, visualization. You know, just imagine what it's going to feel like, but not del delude myself that it's going to be easy. Yeah, for sure. You know, your mindset really stems from your behaviors. I really do believe that. And if your behaviors are, I'm a runner who does workouts, long runs and races consistently. I expect a lot from myself. I try very hard. And you just kind of muscle your way into that sort of persona, that identity, then you'll actually start thinking differently. And you will start having more of these mindset skills like mental toughness, like not getting so anxious before races, like confidence, you know, knowing that you can do something and, and really believing in your abilities. So it's definitely possible, but it is a, a complex long-term nut to crack. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to cracking that nut. Awesome. Well, Patrick, this has been really fun to chat with you about your running. And uh, I, I didn't actually realize that we were recording this the day before your marathon. So I'm going to, in the outro, right after we hang up here, I'm going to record your results. I can't wait. So let me know how you do after your race tomorrow. 100%. You'll be one, uh, probably one of the first to know. <laughs> awesome. Well, good luck tomorrow, Patrick. Thanks again for being here. And uh, I hope that you have a, a great time in the race tomorrow. All right, thank you, Jason. It's been an awesome hour. Hopefully, um, um, I can put everything in practice tomorrow. Good luck. Thanks, Jason. And before we wrap this episode, let's hear from Patrick. He just sent me a note after his marathon. And while it didn't go exactly the way that he had hoped, there's still a lot to learn. Here's Patrick. Hi, Jason. <clears throat> it's Patrick. Uh, I didn't quite have the marathon I was hoping for, but uh, had nothing to do with the uh, I think the mental side of things, it was more 
the lack of proper preparation. And I think it really speaks to what you've talked about many times in your podcast and your videos about the long run. I think I had maybe five runs during the training period, which is also short of uh, 21 Ks or more, so not enough. And I think <clears throat> despite our, our conversation, which was fantastic, that you, um, you know, whilst you can't you know, run out uh, beyond a bad mindset, you also can't will yourself outside of bad preparation. So um, I've learned a lot. And my commitment is to focus on the short uh, distances in the short term. Um, I'll have my ultra, but I'm not going to do another marathon until next year, um, of which I'll be much stronger and better with a stronger mindset as well. So thanks for everything and um, speak soon. There we go, my friends. I hope you got value from this episode and I hope that you make a small change in how you approach your running because of it. Build that skill of racing. Practice visualization use mantras, and recognize the difficulty of racing so that it's not surprising on race day. We go into more depth on these topics of confidence, mental toughness, focus, anxiety management, and more at strengthrunning.com brain. And if you'd like coaching from me affordably, join our team. Go to strengthrunning.com join and check out all the details for team strength running. We have members from around the world, and I'm proud that we're the most affordable group coaching program that's available. I'd love to welcome you to the team as well. Now, if you enjoy the Strength Running Podcast, you can support us by supporting our sponsors. I believe in these companies, they help me publish these episodes, and they're doing great work for the running community. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years, and I hope to continue for years to come. They're one of the most reputable, personal blood testing companies that you can find, and they were founded back in 2009 by aging genetics and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's data and then get a firm idea of how well it's responding to all that training that you're doing. They have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that helps you understand all those biomarkers that you test, from stress hormones like cortisol to testosterone, growth hormone, and vitamin D. And all these can help figure out if you're overtraining or you're undertraining, or if you have some health issue that might be affecting your running. But the best part is that they give you these personalized optimal ranges for each one of these biomarkers that they test for. And if you're outside of your personal range, they have a whole host of ways to improve them through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and I love it. The process is simple, it's easy, it's very eye-opening, especially if you haven't done a deep dive on your biomarkers just yet. Every time I get a test, I learn something new, and the best part is that if you get multiple tests over time, you can start to see trends, and then you can address those trends, whether positive or negative. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases that you can make for your running, this one can actually improve your performances. It's a wonderful opportunity to get a deep dive into your health, and you can see all those details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. All right, my friends, thank you for listening. We'll be in touch soon. 